Welcome to Fresh Takes on Tech. I'm your host, Bonnie Estes, Vice President of Innovation for the International Fresh Produce Association. On the podcast, we get to hear from people that are shaping the produce industry with solutions to our biggest problems. Join me as we uncover the opportunities and advancements shaping the future of produce through a tech lens. Welcome to Fresh Takes on Tech, where insight meets innovation. Hello, today we're continuing our conversation on climate smart agriculture. We are speaking with two leaders at Bear Crop Science, Christiana Lorenzo, who is a global vegetable seed sustainability lead, and Josh Vanderval, North America lead of global food chain partnerships. Bear Crop Science has made a big commitment to sustainability and regenerative ag and really taking some strong stances. I'm looking forward to hearing how sustainability, region ag, and climate smart ag all fit into Bear's mission. So, Chris, let's start with you. Can you start by defining what are Bear Crop Science's primary sustainability commitments, especially in the context of climate change and environmental concerns? Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having us here, right? It's a pleasure to be here to share. So we as Bayer, we have both commitments around sustainability. So by 2030, we are working to reduce environmental crop protection impact by 30%. We have a commitment around smallholders. So how we empower 100 million smallholders as well by giving more access to our solutions and other also solutions that they need to improve their lives. We have a commitment that was launched as well recently around water, where we want to provide solutions and help the growers with the practice to help them reduce their water use. And then finally, around the climate footprint, right? So in the climate space, we have, the, um, of course, a commitment to be carbon neutral with our own operations by 2030, but also how our solutions are new solutions that we can provide we help the growers, like our customers, to really reduce their uh, climate footprint, right? And that's a commitment about 30% reduction uh, on the climate footprint in the, in the growers' space. So all those commitments, like they tie uh, very well with the climate smart agriculture space, right? And uh, recently also, besides those commitments, we launched our new approach on regenerative agriculture. And that's very interesting because it brings us a different perspective on how we can scale as well our work in those commitments, but also working in some areas like soil health and biodiversity. Great, thanks. Josh, let's dig a little bit deeper into regenerative agriculture. And I know you've really talking about this a lot at Bear, and, and I love that the company's taking such a forward stance here. So what does it mean? That, that's one of the biggest questions people ask about region ag, but what does it mean to bear crop science and what are your core principles behind it? Yeah, thanks, Fani. And, and uh, yeah, regenerative agriculture is very important to us at Bayer. And in fact, earlier this summer, uh, we had our innovation summit and one of the highlights was actually positioning our position on regenerative agriculture and how it fits into our broader business. And really, regenerative agriculture has become integrated into our business and then what we're doing in research and development. For us, this means broadening our approach on sustainability to include producing more and restoring more. So we're really taking an outcomes-based approach, which focuses on the following benefits, things like uh, increasing yields and productivity, social and economic well-being of farmers, improving the soil health, which is very, very important, 
mitigating climate change uh, by sequestering carbon, maintaining and restoring biodiversity and conserving water. This is all to really help farmers to increase their productivity and incomes with uh, climate adaption solutions and uh, new sources of revenue for them as well. So do you see in the way that people talk about climate smart ag, do you see it as a subset as regenerative ag or like tools for regenerative ag? And how do you guys think about that? When we think about um, how USDA defines climate smart agriculture, right? If you see the principles that are inside are very aligned with the principles from regenerative agriculture, right? So for us, when we talk about regenerative agriculture, it's just another way to talk about climate smart agriculture, right? They are very aligned, just different stakeholders. Maybe they call climate smart agriculture, regenerative agriculture, but inside you see like a better management of the soil, water management, cover crops, right? So some principles that are very aligned in the two definitions, right? In both ways. One thing I was going to add is that, um, you know, we kind of see regenerative agriculture and climate smart agriculture is like the next evolution of sustainability. So can can we not only optimize our resources and what we have available, but can we uh, actually leave the, leave the soil, the environment, the communities better than we found it? Yeah, great. Yeah, I think there's just, you know, all of this is evolving right now, and I don't want to get caught in definitions, but sometimes people just get confused on, you know, what we're talking about. So that, that's really helpful. And, and I think that's an important point, Bonnie, because... There are different definitions, right? There is no standard definition. And then to work in this space, we decide to share what's our approach. And we mm -hmm. decide that for us, it's more important to start by defining the outcomes that we, but what we mean about regenerative eggs, right? What are the benefits we are looking for? Then just talk about principles because the principles can be different for grower that's growing for a processing tomato or a grower that's growing soy or corn, right? So that's why we decide really to align our uh, definition of a regenerative ag with what the science is there outside, but looking more for the outcomes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was really excited when I heard the definitions that you're giving and the work that you're doing and a lot of the papers that you've written, because I, I, I think people spend so much time trying to define it that, you know, let's get to work. There's a lot of work to, mm -hmm. to be done. And so if you're looking at outcomes and trying to figure out you know, how do we get to those outcomes? That's the most important part of it. So I, I appreciate the work that you've done on that. So let's talk about technology, one of my favorite topics. So you're working on a number of areas to develop these types of solutions for producers. So let's talk about breeding first. Can you provide some examples of how breeding is being used in vegetable seeds? And one of the, what are the benefits does it offer in terms of sustainability and climate resilience? Yeah, so that's my favorite top, right? I was yeah, me too. <laughs> see it, and then Josh, of course, will complement with the, uh, the other part of our portfolio that's crop protection, but really breeding. So I, we see breeding as a powerful tool for sustainability, regenerative ag, or our climate smart agriculture, right? So whatever what we define, and we have that power. Like uh, we, have, one of our products, of course, what we offer solution for the growers are the seeds, right? So that's one of the key elements of the toolbox that we offer to our clients to really be able to implement sustainable agriculture practice, right? And uh, in vegetable seeds today, just to give you overview before sharing some examples, we work with the more than two, uh, 35 crops. So we work from, we sell seeds from melons to tomatoes, like different crops. 
And we are so proud that we just add to our portfolio strawberries, right? So mm-hmm, uh, we the family is growing. And overall, like he, although in, in those 35 crops, we have more than 2,000 varieties, right, globally. So a really rich portfolio with opportunities to help the growers. So in that 2,000 varieties, we have different, different examples of how breeding really can help the growers with more sustainable production, right? Because... Every time that we improve with the, the variety, like we put in new traits or we have an improvement of some characteristics of the plant, we help the growers are to better manage their disease that could lead them for a better crop protection program as well in the field, right? Or we help them to reduce losses in the field or losses from, from uh, the transportation that can have, or even we can help them to minimize the use of inputs, right? And those are some things we are working on. So as an example, like we have a variety today in different parts of the world, like in India, pepper varieties that are helping growers to be able to really crop, grow uh, peppers in very extreme uh, hot areas like Rajasthan, right? Because they are more resilient to the high temperatures there. We have varieties in Spain that are helping growers to minimize the amount of losses in the field because helped, uh, they are, um, they have a better quality or better criteria that help them to really deliver the melons that have the right shape, the right size for the value chain players, right? And then when we talk about minimizing foods, that's an area where we are investing a lot now to explore how our varieties can support growers. We had a nice example from California where last year we started some trials with some of our processing tomato varieties mm-hmm. that we have here in the state. And uh, the initial trials showed us amazing results. I would say some good outcomes from those trials, showing that some of our varieties in that uh, the processing tomato portfolio could help the growers to really keep their yield, like uh, or even increase their production. Sometimes same quality, same criteria that the processors are looking for but with 20% less irrigation, right? So wow. that's an amazing example. Of course, we are uh, the, those are initial trials we did with some of those varieties. We are going to the second year of trials. We really hope that we're going to have the same results. And then we decide to spend the same trials to Europe. We are doing other three countries because we all know that water is not only a challenge in California, but it's everywhere in the world, right? So if it decides, if we are able to really make sure that when we promote our varieties, we can show to the growers some potential of those seeds that can help them to produce more with less water would be amazing, right? So that's kind of the journey where we are right now. That's really exciting. That's great. Yeah. And in, in, I live in California and we had so much rain last year that people are starting to forget that we're actually in a drought and need more water. So glad to hear that that's coming. So Josh, on the other side of what you all work on, talk to us about what's going on in crop protection and and some of the new innovations there. Well, you guys talked about being passionate about seeds. I'm also passionate (laughs) about crop protection. It's a part of the the farmer's toolbox that uh, sometimes gets overlooked. And, uh, you know, really proud at Bayer. We have some really unique solutions that are really helping farmers to address uh, challenges with weeds, with insects, with nematodes and with fungal pathogens to help protect their crops and, you know, give them a more high quality, more productive produce uh, as well. So I've got three examples. First is actually a biological fungicide. It's called Minuet. It's made from 
a bacteria strain called Bacillus subtilis. It has a high concentration of it, which uh, it actually is used in the soil. So you put it in the soil, um, which helps with root colonization, and it has lower use rates as well. So it really helps to establish, help plants establish early, and increases their vigor, helps them to tolerate stressors like drought and heat as well. And it's also, of course, a, a completely different mode of action than our conventional chemistries as well. So it works really well in rotation with other chemistries. And it can even help to uh, produce more high-quality produce that has increased uh, shelf life as well. So it's a great, great tool. It's relatively new in our portfolio, and it's a nice uh, complement to our, our offering for farmers. Let me interrupt you a second there and geek out on this one. So is it live bacteria, or is yes. it... It is. Okay. Yeah, and so then it's, it, it's applied like, liquid in the soil at planting or after planting? Yeah. So it's applied in the soil. It's typically done at planting. So like for vegetable crops, for example, it would be planted in the furrow or, or you know, close to the furrow uh, in the soil. That's very great. And is that available now or is it going through registration yes. or it's available now? Okay. Yes, it's available now. <laughs> okay. All right. Please continue. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, the next one is, is brand new. Uh, it's called the vellum rise. It's a fungicide nematicide. It's really, it's labeled on a number of crops, but we're really focusing it here on potatoes and thinking about potatoes in that first 75 days is, is really important. And uh, so again, farmers would uh, apply this in furrow or at pre-plants. And, and what it does is it actually suppresses nematodes and other diseases. So a lot of times uh, in potatoes, they're applying uh, a soil, soil fumigant of some sort uh, in the ground. I'm not saying that this product can replace it, but it certainly can be used uh, in, a, in a system to help suppress those nematodes. So that does help with the environmental impact. You know, it's a different site of action as well. It also has uh, really good efficacy on some key soil-borne diseases like rhizoctonia and black dot as well. And so it's a great uh, new product, and that will be available for the first time this year for potato farmers. Is that available in California as well? or? Good question. I'd have to check the labels okay. <laughs> on California. Um, Sometimes I, it's a little slower, but not the biggest potato exactly. producing state anyway. So Exactly. Always always read and follow label instructions. I have to right. say that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, and then the last one I uh, wanted to mention is another fungicide. It's called Luna. And this one has been around for quite a while, but it's uh, specifically designed for fruit and vegetable crops. And it's used uh, around the world, and it provides unprecedented control of uh, the most problematic fungal uh, diseases. And what's really unique about this one is that it has actually demonstrated long-term tree health. So in permanent crops, so think grapes or, or almonds or those type of crops as well. It actually will help promote like the health of the, of the tree itself or the, or the vine. And it also uh, can help farmers to produce more marketable produce. So there's less waste. So, uh, so it actually will help to prolong the shelf life even at the store. So think of crops like, uh, like grapes or strawberries, table grapes or strawberries, that you would actually, uh, it would last a little bit longer on the shelf because you're protecting against the pathogens that are on the fruit. And so it's a really unique product as well. So Josh, on, this may be a little out of what you work on, but on marketing these products, how big of marketing and selling the products are the environmental aspects when you talk to producers or is it a hundred percent efficacy and price or do you really talk about the environmental benefits as well? 
Yeah, part of what we we do and we're thinking about, we're a research and development company. We spend over 2.6 billion euros in research and development on seeds and, and crop protection solutions every year. And so one of the things we look at when we're coming out with new products is the environmental profile of the products, especially in crop protection. And so it's something that we won't even bring a product to market if it doesn't meet the profile requirements and the environmental footprint of the products. And that's actually one of our commitments as well to even further reduce that, as, as uh, Chris mentioned earlier, to reduce our environmental impact by 30% by 2030 as well. So certainly it's, it's definitely uh, in our purview and it's what, we, what we're concerned about before we even bring products to market. But certainly in this space and fruit and vegetables is something that, that uh, you know, the produce buyers and the consumers are asking for as well. And so certainly it's, it's in the conversation. And I think that at least speaking from uh, fruit and vegetable producers in the U.S., we're doing a great job with this already. I think, uh, I think farmers are making sure that they make decisions based on good integrated pest management practices, which, in the, which would include the environmental aspects uh, as well, only applying when they need to apply. And so uh, I think it's, it's, it's always on the top of their mind, for sure. And I agree with Josh. I think, uh, of course, it's part of our sustainability commitment, right? Like we said before, we have a really good portfolio, actually, when we talk about environmental impact, right? So we did that baseline, but we can always improve. But I think growers more and more are not only looking only price and uh, how much, what's the practical uh, efficacy they will have from the product, but also they're really worried about how that's going to impact the environment, right? So that's amazing because we are working the same direction that they are, they are looking for. Great. Thanks. That's good to hear. So Christiana, continuing with you, can you tell us about the carbon pilot in Europe on tomatoes? What's the goal of that project and what outcomes have you observed so far? Yeah, so I think Bayer was one of the pioneers company, right? Jumping G's carbon spacing agriculture. Um, there are different platforms, of course, but we really saw this as opportunity to offer a new maybe marketing space for our customers, right? We have a carbon program in Brazil that's kind of uh, been there for three, four years already, and then in U.S., but those two countries are more around the corn and soy. And then in Europe, we are exploring additional crops like tomatoes, as I said, right? So basically what we are doing in Europe and, you know, the challenge with the carbon and uh, the produce space is because we don't have so many hectares like we have in whole crops, right? So especially if you go for the credit platform, you are not really talking anymore about thousands of hectares, right? So how you capture the value from the carbon sequestration. And that's exactly what we are exploring in, in Europe with tomato. We are working with some processors there, uh, value chain companies that want to work with us really to use our expertise on how they can achieve their carbon reduction, their value chain, right? Their goals that they have in the carbon reduction with their tomato uh, growers. So basically what we are doing there is very niche, I would say. The work we've been maybe there for two years, right, Joshua, is really kind of learning what are the tools that we can use for the and vegetables environment because some tools that are used today and they are very well known by processors for carbon sequestration, how to calculate carbon reduction, they are not very applicable for our environment, right? Because we have so much more complex, I would say, things in the in the, the produce environment. So mm -hmm. there, what we are doing now, we are working with some partners to really explore how we measure carbon uh, sequestration, how we create the baseline for tomatoes, right? Or 
our fruits and vegetables space? What are the interventions as well that we can help growers to do, like change, very aligned with the climate smart agriculture practices mm -hmm. that we have here in FPA, right, with the new project here as well. But what are the interventions that we could work together with those processors to really help the growers to adapt in order to reduce the carbon reduction in tomato and also maybe go to a space where we could have the carbon sequestration. So we don't really have any results right now. We are in that phase about feasibility studies, what are the tools that we could use to measure the carbon emission and reduction in tomatoes, right? What are those interventions that can be done? But uh, I think in a few, maybe next year or in a few months, we may have more. And we are happy to come back here also and share with you, right, more information about exactly what were the results we saw. I think that's also a challenge in the carbon space, right? Because it's not something you have results in one, two years. It's really something long-term. And that's exactly what this project in, in Europe is, is telling us, right? You need time to understand impact. You need time to put in interventions and then how you measure and how you are able really to say that you had carbon reduction or carbon sequestration in the production. I really love hearing that because I, I think... In the produce industry, we're all trying to figure out, you know, we feel like we're behind and that everyone else has got this figured out. And But we really need projects like that where people are looking for very tangible, specific results that can be communicated and practices that we can use. And so I'll look forward to seeing reports and more conversation about, you know, how we can work with growers on this. Cause it's, it's very important. And I don't, I, I hate to see people kind of throw their hands up and say, well, we can't figure it out, you know, so we're just not going to do it. So I, it's great that you're doing the work. And I think like what we, we have FPA is doing here in US, right? The Vibrant Future Project, where we are uh -huh. so proud to be partners as well. Is amazing example, right, for North America or for for globally as well for the produce industry because it's really a five-year project, right, where we are going to have a lot of support for the growers to implement some practice, develop a market, measure, right. So really tied to the needs that we have here in U.S. And this is another amazing example on potential climate smart agriculture, carbon sequestration, or, or reduction projects that we can help have in the in the fresh produce industry, right. So as you said, you um, there is an R&D organization, and I know that there's a ton of different projects that are going on there. So talk about some of the new technology and business models that aim to contribute to climate smart agriculture and sustainability. Do you want to maybe start with that? Yeah, so maybe I'll, I'll, I'll start and I'll talk about some of the new business models first and then uh, go back to Chris. We've been uh, looking at you know new ways to provide uh, value to farmers, and, and I'll give you the highlights of a few of the ones that are closer to uh, development right now. One is spatial yield mapping. So thinking about yield maps available for, for fruit and vegetable crops, specifically thinking about root crops like potato or fruit crops like tomato, we'll actually be able to have a yield map uh, that could be you know, layered with the uh, data that you could better analyze and optimize your inputs on the crops. So we're, we're excited about that opportunity. Another one is uh, it's called Plant Balance. Um, it's currently a commercial product offering in Europe and eventually will be uh, expanding to North America. What it does is it provides crop monitoring and guidance for mid and high tech greenhouses. So thinking about how do we incorporate vegetable seed varieties and data analytics to help provide grower guidance uh, and how to optimize that. And maybe I can just complement in some of the 
new the innovations we just announced in June during our innovation summit they are aligned with climate smart agriculture, right? So regenerative agriculture, climate smart agriculture. So we are entering some new business as well, like crop fertilization, right? Biofuels, carbon farming that we already talked about, right? Uh, the new business models around carbon. We are also exploring some additional uh, digital platforms, like some examples that Joshua did. And then specific about breeding, we are investing a lot in precision breeding within AI, right? So that's going to speed a lot the process for bringing new seeds to the with the right conditions, with the right characteristics that the growers they need, right? So that's going to be really a breakthrough technology for us in terms of how we today really work with our breeding process. And then the last one, and I know this is important, especially in our uh, industry, right, is really gene editing, right? So gene editing for us is going to be, uh, well, everybody's excited, waiting for this as a tool, right? So gene editing is really one of the key things for the future. And we really believe that this is going to be one of the most important tools that we can have to help the growers with the climate smart need they will have, right? In terms of sustainable needs or climate adaptation, right? How make the plants more resilient. So GeneEdit is going to be really an important one. We are working today with GeneEditing through Pairwise, right? So we have a partnership with them. They're known as the first company to bring GeneEditing food products to the U.S. market. So we had a partnership with them. We just announced as well that we are going to increase our investments and have a long-term partnership with them really to explore. And I think they were really able to demonstrate how, how crispy can be used in the food space, right? And we are very excited as well that this is going to be one of the key technologies for the future that can help the growers. Great. Yeah, I'm very excited about that as well. One last question. Just, I mean, you've talked about a lot of exciting and interesting things, but Josh, let's start with you. What What are you most excited about? that you see is coming kind of through your pipeline and it's going to have a huge impact? Yeah, I'm, I'm most excited about, there's a lot of energy about the opportunities in sustainability and climate storm practices and regenerative bags. So I think that there's still a lot of potential in being able to pull all of this information and data together. You know, I'm really excited about our partnership and opportunity with the IFPA uh, Climate Smart Project. And I think that, you know, what we're going to learn through that project, I think, will, will help us to, to further the opportunities for farmers uh, and the food value chain using all of this technology that we can to, to meet the challenge that we're trying to address with this growing population to be able to, to feed them with high quality produce. Excellent. Christiana, how about you? What are you excited about? Yeah, I was going to, to share as well the IFPA partnership, right? So we are so excited because like you just said, it's, it's an amazing opportunity for us to offer our solutions that we mentioned before in an ecosystem approach, right? So we mm-hmm. see their seeds and crop protection, digital tools playing a role with the practice that growers will, will implement as well. And we work as a stakeholder group sharing knowledge, right? So every company will bring what they do the best, really to, in the end, we, we can promote climate smart, uh, smart agriculture with the growers and develop a model, right? What can be done, how to measure. So I'm very excited about that. And also excited about the work we are doing with smallholders, right? So we're really looking for how we can move for only give access to our solutions, but also how we can be able to 
measure how impacted their lives and, and see how help the smallholders, fruits and vegetable productions around the globe there. And then, of course, all the other technologies we discussed before, <laughs> that we are being able to place those technologies in the sustainability space, right? Climate smart, regenerative agriculture space. Really excited for that opportunity to be part of this discussion and uh, join like we feel other stakeholders to see how we can live a better planet, right? Also for people and, and for, for the planet as well. Great. Thank you. Yeah, I love Bear Crop Science, what you're working on, and that we really need the scale of a company like yours to push some of these things through. And I work with a lot of small companies and entrepreneurs, and I know you support a lot of small companies through Leaps by Bear and, and other programs. But to be able to take some of these technologies and really introduce them into the industry and help growers at, at the scale that you work globally is, is what it's going to take to make a difference and make an impact. So thank you for the work that you do. And thanks for being on the podcast. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for today's episode of Fresh Takes on Tech. This entire season on Climate Smart Agriculture is funded in part by a grant from USDA for Climate Smart Commodities. See you next time.